In today's episode, we're looking at the necessity of working out. Don't worry, doesn't involve going to the gym. I'm Lance Leffler. Welcome to God Meets the Grind. Have you ever wondered how you would prove you're a major league baseball player? I'm not saying you are, but if you were a New York Yankee, for example, yeah, yeah, I know. Make your comments. Happy? Okay. As I was saying, if you're a baseball player, chances are we're going to see you practicing with the team and maybe even playing in games. In any case, the best way to prove you're a, you know, let's just switch this to a team everyone loves, the LA Dodgers. So the best way to prove you're a Dodger is to play the part of a Dodger, don't you think? To be being a Dodger. Today, we're going to look at a couple of fascinating verses that will put a spring in your step and a song in your heart. And don't worry, you don't have to know anything about baseball or even like baseball. Heck, I only watch when the Dodgers make the playoffs. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Soak it in. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 12 begins with therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you want to ask what it's there for. It's a link to what came before. In this case, Paul's referring back to his exhortation at the beginning of this chapter to pursue unity through humility. And then he starts talking about obedience to God. Don't you get excited when you hear about the topic of obedience? According to my wife, I'm a bit rebellious. It could have something to do with the fact that in our small social circle, I sometimes have been known to say, I do what I want. It's a joke, of course, because I do what my wife wants. But that joke is sort of an emotional refuge for this rebel's heart. I bring this up because some of you have to be like me, right? You hear the word obey and it sucks the air out of your lungs. So here, fellow rebel, take my hand. And let's walk boldly into this mind, because God has some gold waiting for us here. Let's tackle this weird thing Paul says right out of the gate. Work out your salvation. What's that all about? Lots of people have been confused by this verse. Cult members love it. I think I can simplify this. Notice how the sentence has two halves. The first half says the Philippians have always obeyed. The second half, acknowledging that they've always obeyed, it just says... So now work out your salvation. In other words, it's just another way of saying, keep on obeying. But whenever we see the word work right next to the word salvation, we get nervous. Is he talking about salvation by works? No. Look, here's a helpful way to remember it. Paul doesn't say work for your salvation. He says work out your salvation. He's not talking about how to become a Christian. He's talking about how to get along with each other at church. That's the context of Philippians 2.12. This verse isn't just hanging out there in space somewhere. It's part of that discussion. Look, it helps me to picture it this way. God works salvation in me, so it's there within me. Now he wants me to work it out, to show it. An L.A. Dodger is going to act like an L.A. Dodger, not just sit on the couch throwing a ball in the air. So let's look at the last two words in that sentence real quick. Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? We can't get deep into it here. These episodes are just too short. But based on how Paul uses that phrasing in a couple of other letters, I think what he's getting at is humility, which makes sense since 
That's been at the heart of the whole discussion here in Philippians 2, unity through humility. Okay, now to the part I've been itching to get to, verse 13. Let's read it again and take it in, breathe it in. This is theological aromatherapy. For God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is one of those biblical truths that endlessly exhilarates me. This is monumental. Six amazing words. God is at work in you. Sometimes I'll just go walk and chew on that. Lord, you are at work in me. I think for most of us, if you have any heart for God, your default setting is just to try to do better. Life's busy. You're stressed out. You got upset with your spouse. You yelled at the kids. You felt horrible. You asked for forgiveness and vowed to do better. And then what? Well, that's kind of all there is to it. It's it's a closed loop. And besides the asking for forgiveness part, it pretty much plays out on a horizontal axis. This is where, for me anyway, a verse like verse 13 is gold. You still have hold of my hand there, my rebel comrade? Okay, let's walk on. When I began reading the Bible, this was a revelation to me. God is at work in me. This blew my mind. I think it's amazing that God even notices me, let alone take the time to work in me. It's easy to feel like God is a million miles away, isn't it? Or giving his attention to one of his favorites out there. For me, this goes back to report card time when I was a kid. I had sort of a tumultuous educational career. I hated report card time. You can start to build up this idea in your head that being a Christian means it's report card time all the time. And you're not exactly rocking straight A's. Philippians 2.13 to the rescue. God is working in you. And notice what Paul does. He gives more dimension, more richness to what obedience looks like. He says here, to will and to work for his, God's, good pleasure. So if we take the whole verse, God is working in you, to move you to be pleasing to him. God is part of your process. More than that even, he initiated it and he guides the whole thing. God prompts us to move. Or we could say it this way, God moves us. What we come to find out in scripture is that we desperately need this, given our stubborn insistence on clinging to our old ways. One of our daughters had some developmental issues that required physical therapy. When she began to crawl, she would flip her right hand over and actually place the back of her hand on the floor. It looked so painful. So my wife and I would crawl next to her and at the last second flip her hand over so her palm hit the floor instead of her knuckles. And make no mistake about it, she would scream bloody murder. Not because we were hurting her but because it went against what was natural for her as a new crawler. What you find is that when you set out to follow Jesus, to crawl, if you will, that he crawls next to you and steadies you and props you up and corrects your hand movements and bridles your tongue when you're about to go off on the drive through person at Burger King and cuts you to the heart when you're hovering too close to that porn site. It's not perfect because we still pull our hand back and flip it over and crawl on our knuckles. I want to share one more golden nugget. I think Paul's even more explicit about God's working in us in 1 Thessalonians. That's a big one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, 
And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Isn't that amazing? He will surely do it. He will surely do it. He will do it. Who will do all these wonderful things in you? God will. That's why I think this is one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible. How does it work? I don't know. (laughs) I just try to keep myself close to God by talking to him throughout the day. Sometimes just being aware that he's with me. I'm guided in this by the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 40. Verse 31 says this, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait for the Lord. Waiting on God in the Bible always means something like lingering before him, pestering him even. It's kind of like the way my dog will follow me from room to room. I go to the kitchen. There she is looking at me, waiting for me. I go back to my office. She follows and sits and watches me. And God promises to strengthen us if we do this. And he uses this picturesque imagery. We'll have wings like eagles. There's no more majestic, badass bird out there than the eagle. God's conveying the magnitude of the power he has available for us in this simile. I have this friend who every morning mixes up this concoction of veggies and fruits and I don't know exactly what. He calls it go juice because it fuels him up for the day. I guess they didn't have coffee when he was growing up or something. Anyway, I think of Philippians 2.13 as our spiritual go juice. We imbibe it and let God fuel us up to take on the day. This is how God meets the grind. Thanks for listening today. You won't want to miss our next episode. It's dedicated completely to complainers. So if you know a complainer, invite them to listen. That's next time on God Meets the Grind.